Welcome to the Death Kit Show. Let's go. To all my listeners, please go to thedifferentbook.com and pick up a copy of my new children's book, Different. 10% of every book sold goes directly to the cystic fibrosis charity, Emily's Entourage, which is searching for a cure for a unique mutation of the cystic fibrosis gene. I recommend Different to children ages five and up. Growing up as kids, we sometimes feel like we don't fit in with everyone else, whether it's our curly hair, a mole or freckle we don't like, being too tall or too short, the list goes on. Different teaches kids that we all have our thing and everyone is different, which means being different is normal. I'm very excited about this book and want to give as much as I can to Emily's Entourage, so please pick up a copy for your kids or grandkids or friends' kids and help me spread the word. Check out thedifferentbook.com for all the details. And if you haven't yet, please rate this podcast five stars and leave a review. It all really does help. to the GK Show. Fun music at the beginning. Yeah! Uh! Hope you're having a good day. Let's start the pod. What's up, everybody? Okay, I did not think I'd have time to get one out this morning. Uh, I've got to go meet up. My parents came to Las Vegas, and my great-aunt Marsha, who is the happiest, most upbeat, most positive person alive, we're going to go take her to lunch. But I woke up a little earlier than expected. I couldn't sleep. I'm just so excited to start the day. And uh, so today is was my grandmother's birthday my grandmother passed away a couple years ago she would have been 100 today she was 98 when she passed away so she would have been 100 years old today so i was trying to figure out i was going to read some other articles i was in you know i've been dipping into psychology today stuff but i guess we'll just save that for another day because I thought of another fun thing to do uh, when I was writing for this trivia show. There was, um, it was I used to go to history.com a lot, and there's it's kind of a fun website. You just go there, and every day you could just click on this day in history, and they tell you all these things that happened on this day, and you know, 1985 or 1862, or you know, all the like with different years, obviously, and what happened on those days. So. Uh, here we go. Uh, please rate the podcast five stars if you haven't yet. Subscribe, leave a review. I think I'm gonna start asking people, you know, leave the review. You know, the five star review. Don't leave a review if you're gonna leave some shitty review. Just move on. Um, so, anyways, November 21st. Let's kick it off. It's my grandma Sil Sylvia Solomon Piltz. This is her birthday. So, November 21st. Happy birthday, grandma. Here we go. Uh, on November 21st, 1980, 1980, so this is f- four years, almost th- three years, th- three years before I was born, 350 million people around the world tune in to television's popular primetime drama Dallas to find out who shot J.R. Ewing, the character fans love to hate. I remember this growing up, and this was before I was born, obviously, who shot J.R., 
And I've never, I don't think I've ever watched an episode of Dallas. So that's why we're starting with this one. Let's learn about it. JR had been shot on the season-ending episode of the previous episode, the previous March 21st, which now stands as one of television's most famous cliffhangers. The plot twist inspired widespread media coverage and left America wondering who shot JR for the next eight months. Isn't that crazy? Like, there's something. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. I love streaming stuff, and I'm sure you do too. I love that shows come out all at once, so you can just like binge watch them. That is. Definitely fun, okay? I'm gonna maybe we'll look up a uh, psychology article tomorrow about binge watching because I love it. I'm sure you love it too. You just get to know what happens next right away. But there is something to that. You don't, you know, watch uh, your TV show on Thursday and then wait till the next week to find out what happened. You know, there are cliffhangers, I guess, on binge watching shows at the end of the season. Oh, you know, there might be a who shot JR moment, but we don't have that. You know, you sit down. Can you imagine now if you told, you know, your kids or whatever? Oh, yeah, like, uh, let's just watch one half hour and then we'll wait seven days to find out what happens next. They'd be like, why would we do that? Seven days? Are you nuts? <laughs> let's find out what happened right now. Come on. Let's binge this. Let's get through the whole season. Let's stay up till 3 a.m. That's how our brains are wired now. It's so strange. So I mean, I guess it was strange when they were wired the other way. I guess it was strange when they were wired before television and people didn't even have TV. And our brains are just changing so fast. Oh my God, now I'm going down this crazy thing. Let's just find out about this Who Shot JR. Anyways, 350 million people around the world. That, that's a huge audience. I think uh, Seinfeld's um, last episode had 75 million viewers. Okay, uh, so they waited eight months. The November 21st episode solved the mystery, identifying Kristen Shepard, JR's wife's sister, and his former mistress as the culprit. The CBS Television Network debuted the first five-episode pilot season of Dallas in 1978. It went on to run another 12 full-length seasons. The first show of its kind, Dallas, was dubbed a primetime soap opera for its serial plots and dramatic tales of moral excess. The show revolved around the relations of two Texas oil families, the wealthy, successful Ewing family and the perpetually down-on-their-luck Barnes family. The family's patriarchs... Come on, Shiggy. Get down. Don't shake yourself in the middle of the podcast. The family's patriarchs, Jock Ewing and Digger Barnes. Jock and Digger. I wonder if there's... I guarantee there's kids out there that are named Jock and Digger because of this. Were former partners locked in a years-long feud over oil fields. Barnes claimed had been stolen by Ewing. Ewing's youngest son, Bobby. Ooh, Patrick Duffy. And Barnes's daughter, Pam. Victoria Principal had married, linking the battling clans even more closely. What a great idea for a TV show. The character of J.R. Ewing, Bobby's oldest brother, and a greedy, conniving, womanizing scoundrel was played by Larry Hagman. As J.R. had many enemies, audiences were hard-pressed to guess who was responsible for his attempted murder. That summer, the question, who shot J.R., entered the national lexicon, becoming a popular t-shirt slogan and heightening anticipation of the soap's third season, which was to air in the fall. After a much-talked-about contract dispute with Hagman was finally settled, the season was delayed because of a Screen Actors Guild strike. Oh my god, people must have been tearing their hair out. A SAG strike? Much to the dismay of Dallas fans. When it finally aired, the episode revealing J.R. Shooter became one of television's most-watched shows with an audience of 83 million people in the U.S. alone. A full 76% of all U.S. televisions on that night were tuned in. Oh my god, there's nothing that gets that now. The Super Bowl... The Democratic debate, the Republican debate, the presidential debate, 76%. 
That is unreal. And helped put Dallas into greater worldwide circulation. It also popularized the use of the cliffhanger by television writers. Oh, wow. They weren't doing that back then? The cliffhanger's great. Cliffhanger. Dude, don't let go. Remember the Sylvester Sloan movie cliffhanger? No, you got it. Don't let go of my hand. <laughs> the shooting of JR wasn't Dallas' only notorious plot twist. In September 1986, fans learned that the entire previous season in which the main character Bobby Ewing had died was merely a dream of Pam's. Oh, come on. The show's writers had killed the Bobby character off because Duffy had decided to leave the show. When he agreed to return, they featured him stepping out of the shower on the season-ending cliffhanger and then were forced the next season to explain his sudden reappearance. Can you imagine the writer's room during that? They're like, okay, so Duffy's gone. All right, let's just write this season. They write the whole season. He's like, okay, I've agreed to terms. They're like, are you fucking kidding me? It was all a dream. The last premiere episode of Dallas aired on May 3rd, 1991. A spinoff, Knott's Landing, aired from December 27th, 1979 until May 13th, 1993. Dallas remains in syndication around the world. Wait, so a spinoff happened... Wait, so Dallas ran from 78 to 91, and this spinoff ran from 79 to 93? That's weird. Are those those years right? That's weird. All right, let's see what else happened. On November 21st, my Grammy's birthday in the world. Okay. Whoa. 1877. Thomas Edison announces his invention of the phonograph. That's got to be a big day. These are all technology things so far, right? One was TV, viewers. This is the phonograph. The American inventor announces, this is 1877, November 21st, 1877. The American inventor announces his invention of the phonograph, a way to record and play back sound. What? (laughs) You you better be out of this world, Tommy. What are you talking about? (laughs) I tell you, you better sit down and watch. It plays back the sound for you. And then they're like, no way. And then it just, he hits a button and goes, now sit down and watch. It plays back the sound for you. No way. And then they go, no way. And then it goes, no way. <laughs> it plays back the sound for you. I told you so. It plays back the sound for you. I told you so. The American inventor announces his invention of the phonograph, a way to record and play back sound. Edison stumbled on one of his great inventions, the phonograph, while working on a way to record telephone communication at his laboratory in Menlo Park, New Jersey. His work led him <coughs> excuse me, to experiment with a stylus on a tinfoil cylinder, which, to his surprise, played back the short song he had recorded, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Whoa! Mary Had a Little Lamb, first song to be recorded. In this universe, in this, in this reality, public de- demonstrations of the phonograph made the Yankee inventor world famous, and he was dubbed the Wizard of Menlo Park. Edison set aside his invention in 1878 to work on the incandescent light bulb, and other inventors moved forward to improve on the phonograph in eight. Oh, I'm just bleeding senses together. In 1877, Edison resumed work on the device using the wax cylinder technique developed by Charles Tainter. Although initially used as a dictating machine, the phonograph proved to be a popular tool for entertainment. And in 1906, Edison unveiled a series of musical and theatrical selections to the public through his National Phonograph Company. Continuing to improve on models and cylinders over the years, the Edison Disc Phonograph debuted in 1912 with the aim of competing in the popular record market. Edison's discs offered superior sound quality but were not compatible with other popular disc players. 
during the 1920s. That's like the Blu-ray, right? When you stick in like the 4K Blu-ray and you're like, oh, I got a 4K Blu-ray and it's like, uh, can't operate disc. During the 1920s, the record business suffered with the growth of radio and in 1929, record, record, and in 1929 recording production at Edison ceased forever. Edison, who acquired an astounding 1,093 patents in his 84 years, died in 1931. Wow, 1,093 patents in his 84 years. And we use a lot of those, the phonograph. I mean, I use that still to this day. I got a sweet phonograph at my house. The incandescent light bulb. Unreal what this guy did. Okay. Also on this day, November 21st, 1934, Ella Fitzgerald wins amateur night at Harlem's Apollo Theater. Oh man, I love Ella Fitzgerald. I used to listen to her when I was a kid. Got to get back into some Ella. Love her scatting, you know? On the evening of November 21st, 1934, a young and gangly would-be dancer took to the stage of Harlem's Apollo Theater to participate in a harrowing tradition known as Amateur Night. Finding herself on stage as a result of pure chance after her name was drawn out of a hat, the aspiring dancer spontaneously decided to turn singer instead. Wow. A change of heart that would prove significant not only for herself personally, but also for the future course of American popular music. The performer in question was a teenaged Ella Fitzgerald, who decided, whose decision to sing rather than dance on this day in 1934 set her on a course toward becoming a musical legend. It also led to her victory at Amateur Night at the Apollo, a weekly event that was then just a little more than a year old but still thrives today. Born in 1917 in Newport News, Virginia, an orphan at the age of 15, Ella Fitzgerald was a high school dropout and a ward of, the, of New York State when she made her way to the Apollo that autumn night in 1934 with two of her girlfriends. Quote, it was a bet, she later recalled. We just put our names in. We never thought we'd get the call. But Ella did get the call, and as it happened, she came to the stage immediately after a talented and popular local dance duo. Afraid that she couldn't measure up to the dancing talents of the preceding act, Ella was petrified. Quote, I looked and I saw all those people, and I said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do out here? She told National Public Radio decades later. Quote, everybody started laughing and said, what is she going to do? And I couldn't think of nothing else, so I tried to sing The Object of My Affection. By her own admission, Fitzgerald was blatantly imitating the singer who popularized that song, Connie Boswell of the Boswell Sisters, and the first few notes were a disaster. Rushing on stage to protect her from the jeers of the notoriously tough Apollo Theater crowd, however, was the famous amateur night master of ceremonies, Ralph Cooper, who helped Ella gather her wits and try again. On her second attempt, she brought down the house. Within the year, Ella Fitzgerald had been discovered by Chick Webb, to whose band she was legally paroled by the state of New York while she was still shy of her 18th birthday. What a cool story. It was with Webb's band that she scored her career-making hit, A Tisket, A Tasket, in 1938, but it was as a solo performer that she would become a jazz legend in the late 1940s and early 1950s as a revolutionary innovator of vocal jazz. Wow. I love it. I should play some Ella Fitzgerald at the end of this pod. If I have time. If I have time, I will do that. November 21st, 1976, Rocky opens in theaters. What a great birthday Grandma had. On November 21st, 1976, Rocky, starring Sylvester Stallone as the underdog prizefighter Rocky Balboa, debuts in New York City. The movie, <clears throat> the movie, which opened in theaters across the United States on December 3rd, 1976, was a huge box office hit. No shit and received 10 Academy Award nominations, including Best Actor and Best Original Screenplay for the then-little-known Stallone. Rocky ultimately took home three Oscars, including one for Best Picture, 
and made Stallone one of the biggest stars in Hollywood. Yeah, and it also made Rocky a person who didn't never existed have his own statue <laughs> in Philadelphia, which is like the coolest thing ever. Fictional character, people go like see like, oh hey, this is where Rocky ran the steps. Sylvester Stallone was born on July 6th, 1946 in <clears throat> New York City. By the early 1970s, he had begun his professional acting career, appearing in off-Broadway shows and bit movie roles. Frustrated by his lack of success, Stallone started penning screenplays, including The Lords of Flatbush, 1974, in which he co-starred with another relatively unknown young actor named Henry Winkler. Wow. Stallone's career was transformed after the success of his next screenplay, Rocky, in which he insisted on playing the lead. Produced on a shoestring budget, the film told the story of Rocky Balboa, a small-time down-on-his-luck Philadelphia boxer who works as a debt collector for a loan shark before getting a shot at the World Heavyweight Championship. Rocky includes such memorable lines as, Yo, Adrian! Directed at Rocky's love interest, played by Talia Shire, and You're Gonna Eat Lightning and You're Gonna Crap Thunder, as well as the now-iconic scene in which Rocky takes a training run up and down the steps of the Philadelphia Museum of Art, as the movie's theme song, Gonna Fly Now, plays. Stallone went on to write and star in five more Rocky movies, Rocky II, Rocky III, Rocky IV, Rocky V, and Rocky Balboa. Yeah, and now there's Creed. Stallone, truck, Stallone struck Hollywood movie franchise gold a second time, playing the action hero John Rambo, a troubled ex-Green Beret and Vietnam War vet. Stallone portrayed Rambo in First Blood, Rambo First Blood Part II, Rambo III, Rambo... And, Ram- and Rambo Last Blood 2019. Oh my god, you know something about me? I've never seen any of the Rambos. I've seen like parts of some of them, but someday I think I should sit down and just watch First Blood. Isn't that funny that First Blood is the name of the first Rambo movie? It's not even called Rambo. And then they just slowly became Rambo. Then it was Rambo First Blood Part 2. Then we're just going to go Rambo 3, <laughs> even though the movies are all First Blood. Then we'll go... Rambo, 2008 and 2019 were the last two. That's insane. This guy just keeps it going, man. Sylvester Stallone has the coolest career. In addition to the Rocky and Rambo movies, Stallone's long list of film credits include Rhinestone with Dolly Parton, Tango and Cash with Kurt Russell, Cliffhanger. Hey, we randomly talked about that earlier. 1993 with John Lithgow and Janine Turner. Remember Cliffhanger? John Lithgow was like, 10, 10, 3, 2, 1. What was that, that thing, that call service to call collect? What was that thing? 10, 10, whatever, whatever. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. Copland with Harvey Gartel and Ray Liotta. Creed 2015 and Rocky, a Rocky spinoff and Creed 2 2018. Oh, and there will be a Creed 3. How could there not be? Uh, man, you know what? They kind of just brushed over it, but it said... Uh, Stallone's career was transformed after the success of his next screenplay, Rocky, in which he insisted on playing the lead. There's like a really interesting story about Rocky wanting to play the lead and how um, I think they, what is the story? I think they offered to buy the script for like a big sum of money and he just said no because they wanted to buy the script and cast somebody else as the lead and he took like way less money. I can't remember what it is, but he took a lot less money so he could be the lead. So it was like a huge risk because, you know, you never know if the movie's going to be a success. And it was huge, huge success for Sylvester Stallone. All right, let's see if... uh... Whoa, Britannic. This is great. Okay, I'm reading this one. This is perfect. Let's just wrap up on this for my grandma's birthday. Britannic, sister ship to the Titanic, sinks in the Aegean Sea. You know, I'm going to read this one. This is 1916. My grandmother, 
rode on the Britannic, the sister ship of the Titanic, which I think a lot of people believe was the actual Titanic because they think that the... I forgot the story. Oh, man, I can't remember that story now, but it's something like they they already were promoting the Titanic or something, and I think the real Titanic like sunk before that Titanic voyage where the Titanic sunk. So the Britannic was actually the ship. Wait, hold on. Now I'm confused because is that possible? In the wake of the disaster in 1912, yeah, I think this one actually, I don't know. We'll see. I think the one that sunk in 1916 might have actually been the real Titanic. Okay, so here we go. The Britannic sister ship. This is November 21st, 1916. The Britannic sister ship to the Titanic sinks in the Aegean Sea on November 21st, 1916, killing 30 people. More than 1,000 others were rescued. In the wake of the Titanic disaster on April 14, 1912, the White Star Line made several modifications in the construction of its already planned sister ship. First, the name was changed from gigantic to Britannic, probably because it seemed more humble, and the design of the hull was altered to make it less vulnerable to icebergs. Well, that good call. <laughs> In addition, it was mandated that there be enough lifeboats on board to accommodate all passengers. Again, yeah, nice, <laughs> which had not been the case of the Titanic. The nearly 50,000 ton luxury vessel, the largest in the world, was launched in 1914, but was re re why can't I read? requisitioned soon afterward by the British government to serve as a hospital ship during World War I. In this capacity, Captain Charlie Bartlett led the Britannic on five successful voyages, bringing wounded British troops back to England from various ports around the world. On November 21st, the Britannic was on its way to pick up more wounded soldiers near the Gulf of Athens when at 8.12 a.m. a violent explosion rocked the ship. Captain Bartlett ordered the closure of the watertight doors and sent out a distress signal. However, the blast had already managed to flood six whole compartments, even more extensive damage than that which had sunk the Titanic. Still, the Britannic had been prepared for such a disaster and would have stayed afloat except for two critical matters. First, Captain Bartlett decided to try to run the Britannic aground on the nearby island of Kia. This might have been successful, but earlier, the ship's nursing staff had opened the portholes to air out the sick wards. Water poured in through the portholes as the Britannic headed toward Key. Second, the disaster was compounded when some of the crew attempted to launch lifeboats without orders. Since the ship was still moving as fast as it could, the boats were sucked into the propellers, killing those on board. Jeez, that sounds like a horrible way to go. Less than 30 minutes later, Bartlett realized that the ship was going to sink and ordered it abandoned. The lifeboats were launched, and even though the Britannic sank at 9.07, less than an hour after the explosion, nearly 1,100 people managed to make it off the ship. In fact, most of the 30 people who died were in the prematurely launched lifeboats. In 1976, famed ocean explorer Jacques Cousteau found the Britannic lying on its side 400 feet below the surface of the Aegean. The cause of the explosion remains unknown, but many believe that the Britannic hit a mine. Whoa. So just to clarify, because I'm obviously way off on all this, my grandmother flew on the Titanic sister ship, the, I think it's called the Olympic or the Olympia. So this made no sense because this one sank before my grandma was even born. <laughs> so I told you guys, oh yeah, she totally, she totally was on that ship. Okay, so I will get the answer to that. The Wi-Fi keeps cutting out so I can't use my internet anymore. So we can't do more stories right now because this is just a piece of shit. But yeah, my grandmother was on the, I believe it was the Olympia. Um, that was the sister ship to the Titanic. So anyways, happy birthday to my grandma, wherever you are. I think you're somewhere. I think 
you're looking down on us in some way because I stepped in dog shit this morning when I was walking with Shuggy, and I could see you laughing at that. So maybe you caused that, Bama. Um, all right, and my grandpa's birthday was November 14th. I forgot to do this for him, so maybe we'll do November 14th on another day. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Please check out thedifferentbook.com. Um, and some people, I don't know if you guys saw on my social media, but uh, this girl, Nicole, who is a listener, um, she... You know, she's an influencer and she has like 11,000 followers online, which is not really nice. And she posted in her story telling everyone about my book, which was super cool. And she said there's, she put me in contact with this uh, radio personality who has like 80 something thousand followers. And that person's gonna, uh, said, you know, I'm gonna send them a book and uh, she wants a copy. So she said she'll promote it to her people. Really cool. If you guys can help spread the word organically, it's just thedifferentbook.com. Please rate the podcast five stars and leave a cool review uh, if you have the time. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and I'm in Las Vegas all week at The Strat. It used to be called The Stratosphere. Now it's called The Strat. Inside The Strat at LA Comedy Club, 8 p.m. tonight, tomorrow, uh, Saturday, and Sunday. All right, guys. Have a great day. Love you, Grandma. Shining bright above you Night breezes seem to whisper I love you Birds singing in the sycamore tree Dream a little dream of me Sit nighty night and kiss me just hold me tight and tell me you'll miss me While I'm alone and blue as can be Dream a little dream of me Stars fading but I linger on dear Oh how you linger Still craving your kiss How you crave my kiss Now I'm longing To linger till dawn, dear Just saying this Give me a little kiss Sweet dreams Till sunbeams find you Sweet dreams that leave all worries behind you but in your dreams whatever they be dream a little dream of me but I linger on dear still graving your kiss yeah, I'm longing to linger till dawn, dear. Just saying this. Sweet dreams, dreaming. Till something's fine, you keep dreaming. Gotta keep dreaming. Oh.
Two, four, nine, two, my daddy.